But let's go ahead and let's let's turn to the book of Acts. Ma'am, as we are coming down the um, the final stretch here and in, in this in this book of the Bible as we've got this chapter and, and uh, uh, seven more, I believe it is, uh, to cover over the next month or so. And and, and I'm thankful uh, for the book of Acts, for the story of the early church, that it's not a story of something that started off quick and started off with a bang, but then just pittered out to nothing. But it is a story of, of, a, of a body of believers that, that took on something that seemed crazy to take on, that went after a goal, a, a dream, a, a vision, the Bible tells us in one place. This mark of the high calling that Christ Himself set before them and said, we're going to pursue that. We're going to follow that. And they did what the Romans and what the Jews and what so many others would have said, this cannot be done. This will pitter out just like so many others have. And they took it to the fulfillment of what they were to do in their lifetime and it has carried on since. Amen. And what they started in many ways and capacities is now laid at our feet to carry on in our generation, right? And for the generations to come until Christ comes back to receive His church. We are to be the continuation of this body that Christ established through the disciples, the apostles, and is setting them out to do this job. He gives us the great commission to go out yeah. in all the world and tell them. Tell them who He was. Tell them what He taught. Most is one place and compel them to come in. Amen. For this week will be in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 35. So quite a bit more scripture than sometimes we've we've read in it. Um, probably about half of this chapter is what we'll actually try to, to read today. But I just felt like there just wasn't any certain part to 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 cut out, just to, to narrow it down, because it's a really beautiful illustration here. And we'll see just in a minute uh, of the impact a, a servant can have on a community, a servant can have on the body of Christ, uh, that a servant can have on the world, amen, on a church. Um, we'll read here, and we're going to talk about the heart of a servant, amen. I, I've talked about the servant, I've talked about leading, I've talked about, you know, just serving the Lord so many, so many times. But it is something that comes up through all the book of Acts, but it comes up so much just in the scriptures in general. We see in the Old Testament of these servants that rise up, the judges are you know, ultimately just servants of the Lord, right? We see that the prophets are servants of the Lord. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're the gospels, that they're these apostles that are servants of the Lord and writing down the scriptures. All of this comes down to a servant's heart, the heart of a servant. But let's Amen. let's read this scripture and bear with me. My voice goes out a little bit. But it starts to read it's like this. It says, From Maltus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me. Nor do I, I just love that, but none of these things move me. Yeah. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. For indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves, to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which He purchased 
with his own blood. Amen. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for many necessities. And for those who are with you, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. Acts 20, 17-35. I, I want us to understand just a moment what this is. This is Paul. He's been on multiple missionary trips at this point. has established, a, a, by all accounts, a strong and a thriving church in Ephesus. We, we see his letter to the Ephesians there later on. And he comes to them once again as he as he goes to Jerusalem in his mind, and from what I understand from reading scripture, for the last time to go to Jerusalem to to take in some of the feasts and to 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 be thankful for what God has done for the Jewish people and establishing this this this, this lineage that will get to the point where Jesus is born of, of a Virgin Mary and, and will go and do all the great things that he does and, and that he will die on a cross. But he, he's going to celebrate these feasts one one last time before he knows and he says it here himself. He says, I know. The tribulations and chains await me. Every city I go to, that is, that is, that is what I am cognizant of. That is what I see. That's what I know. That's what I feel within my being, within my spirit. What it tells me is that tribulation and chains await me. But he says, I, I don't, I care about these little. But he comes to Ephesus and these people that he loves, these people that he's passionate about, these people that he cares about, these people that he's seen grow from, from nothing, some, some no doubt pagans, some just Jews that were wishy-washy, some that were ready and zealous to follow the Lord. But he, he comes to these people one final time to see them once again, to tell them of, of, of what is about to occur, just as many ways as Jesus did to his apostles time and time again, that he was a, about to die and he would see them no longer. And he comes and he, he kind of gives them this overview. Blessing, Lord. Of who he is. Of who he was to them. Right. And how they should continue on with the work that he started. That the Lord started. And then built through him. Yeah. This Amen. heart of a servant. To remind them what a heart of a servant looks like. To remind them of how important it is to remind them to, to not just give up on things when it becomes difficult, but to let their, that heart continue to drive them to be the men and women of God that, that He so desires for them to be. And, and He gives them multiple things here, but there's three things here that He, he really points out. Now, I want us to look at what this heart of a servant is. Because I would dare to say that, that many of us would, would say or proclaim that we have a heart of a servant. Or if not, we would say that we desire to have the heart of a of a servant. But what does that does that look like? Does that mean serving in some capacity on Sunday? Does that mean doing something here and there? What does it look like to have the heart of a servant? What do we see in Paul's life? Because I don't think anybody that reads Scripture, even the atheist, even the one that does not care about the Lord, even as the one that does not believe, could not read the book of Acts and say that Paul did not have a heart of a servant. He fully did. 
And he served those that were around him. And that too should be our desire and goal. But what does that what does that look like? To begin with, it's a personal example. Personal example. Once again, to go to Scripture, he says, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with humility. He says, You know the manner, what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials. What's happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul sets a remarkable example of of humble leadership by personally serving people he ministered to. He didn't merely just instruct from a distance. He didn't merely pass by and and, and say nice things and then, then leave and to have no more concern about the individual. He lived a personal example of what it is to have a heart to serve people. A heart to serve people. He lived this example. He says, you know the manner I've always lived among you. He says always, right? He's very clear. This is who I've been ever since the first time I walked into Ephesians, the first one of you that I met, the first one of you I talked to, the first time we sat down in church or the tabernacle, wherever it was that we had our first meeting. You know I have been this person, lived this example, been this statue of who I am and who I believe I am to be in God's name. And I pray if anything, I've only got better and not wavered, but you know who I have always been. But I have always lived before you. It's a high bar that Paul establishes here in this scripture. It's a high standard that he sets for the church of Ephesus and to the church from that point on to always live in this place of following in the footsteps of Jesus. Of his personal example. And I've said it before, we all know this is to be true that anybody can be anything for a small amount of time. Anybody can act like anything for a small amount of, of time. And, and there are people in other parts of the country and the world that make millions of dollars by doing that, right? It is something that we are capable of doing to act like something that we personally are not. Yet he says, I am this. This is who I am and this is who I've always been Amongst you. This isn't Paul denying his past. Understand that. This isn't Paul denying that he was a simple person at one point. This is not Paul denying that he kicked against the pricks to quote Christ himself. This isn't that Paul saying that, hey, I've always been good and I've always been perfect. This is Paul simply saying, you know, since I have taken up this cross, you know that since I have tried to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, this is who I am. Paul's not saying he's perfect because we don't understand Scripture. He says, I have a thorn in the flesh. Right. A messenger from Satan that is that tempts me and tries me daily. I prayed for three seasons that this thing will pass away. And yet it is still here. He's not saying he's perfect. He's not saying he's always been good. But he's saying he has always had this standard for himself to be in the likeness of Christ. Yeah. As best to his ability on this earth. In what manner I always lived among you. Imagine 
I made the joke before that I don't run. I mean, it's just not something I take much joy in. But there are people who, who take great joy in running. And they'll go run 5Ks or whatever you want to call them, half marathons and marathons. And even though I, I find no joy in it, to, to see and to hear the stories that some of these people talk about, some of these, these, these crazy races that they go on, biking and, and hiking and swimming and all these things, to see their testimony of how they go through and they get to halfway point or they get closer to the end and, and their body is exhausted and their body is worn and their body is, is tired and, and they are weary. They're, they're broken, no doubt, with cuts and bruises and wounds. And, and to see that, to come, still come across the finish line, knowing what they have faced and that they lived out what they said they were going to. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, when many tears and trials which happened by me, to me by the party of the Jews, he's saying, it would be easy if I never faced trials or temptations for me to always have been who I set out to be. It would have been no good testimony for me just to say, well, everything's like dory, so of course I did everything the way that God, that God has trudged me to. He's saying, I did it in the face of everything that came against me. And I say this with no ill regard to anybody that might fit fit into this that we know, but hearing the testimony of somebody who's persevered through struggles is much greater than hearing a testimony of somebody who's never faced anything. I mean, that's just the reality of life. If somebody comes up to you and they've never faced anything, they've never had a struggle in their marriage, and they talk to you about marriage, it's going to be hard to take what they say for any kind of weight. But if you know somebody has been through struggles, been through kind of fornication or cheating or some kind of struggles with their kids, and they come to you in your time of need, you'll take that. And you'll really eat you on it because there's something to it, because there is a personal example. Personal example. Paul is trying to help them understand, I'm not asking anything of you that I have not done myself. I'm not establishing any expectation or standard for you that I, I did not hold myself to. And he, he will always raise back to Christ. And it's that Christ has not asked anything of us that he did not take upon himself as well. But we must have, as Paul showed to the Ephesians, and every other church he came in, in contact with, this personal example of who we are as people with a heart to serve yeah. people with a heart to serve but we also should be caring for people caring for people Paul's love for people extended far beyond preaching sermons and and saying prayers and those are good and well and, and beautiful and, and I say that as a preacher that, that the preached word of God and, and praying for people is is powerful and impactful. But if that is the only way that we ever show people the love of God, we have failed and come very short of showing people what the love of God truly looks like. Because a lot of Christ's ministry was not from a pulpit, nor was it praying over people. It was showing love and compassion and care for them. And Paul gives this illustration for about his own life. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day, and I am innocent of the blood of all men. What he's saying is, he says, he says, I have basically, I have no regrets. I have nothing left on my conscience that I didn't do. 
I, I loved the people. I cared for the people. I preached the gospel. I shared the word of God. I loved them. Whatever came about me. I don't have any kind of fear or doubt that I should have talked to somebody. He says, I can go away today knowing that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, this is him. Once again, understand he is relating this back to the Ephesians, back to the elders. That's how the scripture starts. He called the elders to him. He says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock also from among yourselves. Men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with Tears. With tears. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Take heed just means to watch after. To to prioritize them. To really pay attention to, to what's going on in your life, what's going on in their life. To take heed of that to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you over seers. And I love the the illustration of the flock. Ron, we don't have time today to, to really go into all the nuance of what it meant to be a shepherd in that time. Uh, of all that the shepherd did. Of how he treated the, the sheep. How he how he interacted with the sheep. What he thought about the sheep. How he loved the sheep. But, but needless to say, as we've all known down at different times and got bits and pieces, we understand how much the, the shepherd, a good shepherd, would care for his flock. How, how passionate he would be about their well-being. How, how zealous he would be about making sure that they were fed. And they were watered. And they were watched after. How, how important it was for him to make sure that there was nothing of danger. Or of, of consequence in their way that he could hinder. Or in some way navigate them around. This was something that he was. He knew that he was over. And had to take charge of. And that's the illustration that he that he gives. And we might not see ourselves sometimes in this role of a of a shepherd. You want to say, well, that's describing a pastor. Maybe if you want to stretch it a deacon, some people would say. But yet, I hope we understand that Jesus gives the illustration in, in, in many places. One in particular where he says that they had the 99 in my flock, but then the one left, he said, I would pursue it. And that to each and every one of us, he has, he has put us over in some capacity a group of people that we are to tend to through and by the love of Christ. That doesn't mean you preach to them. That doesn't mean that you are over their spiritual being. But it does mean that you in some, some way, fashion, or form impact their health and well-being and relationship with Christ, whether you are leading them to Christ or if you are just letting them be stagnant, we have a role to play in the flock that God has placed before us. For some of us, for many of us, that flock is solely and simply our family. And that is a flock that is special, that we should cherish, and that we should protect. 
For others, maybe that flock extends a little bit greater to some part of our community or some part of our our work area or whatever it may be. Extended family. That's part of our our flock. For others, we may have a greater responsibility to slay at our feet to to look after a full community, a full church body, an entire thing. But we all are to shepherd and to oversee people in our life that God wants us to, to view as the sheep, the children of God that He wants us to show love to show compassion and and care for. But we have to recognize that. I I don't like the saying uh, of me, my four, no more. Right? And it seems trivial or uh, of no no great harm when we just say it, but, but the underlying motif behind it is exactly what the enemy wants us to embrace. Me, my four, and no more. Let's understand that that our flock a lot of times may go farther than we want it to. The people that God puts in our sphere of influence sometimes isn't always who we want it to be. We don't always get to check and choose who we have an impact on. We don't always get to say, I only want to help these people. God places people in our life that we might not want to be a shepherd over, that we might not want to show compassion to, that we might not be ready to care for, yet they are in our place, in our sphere, in our realm of influence for a reason. And we should care for people. (coughs) We should care for people. We can consider that shepherd diligently tending to his flock, guiding and protecting them from from harm. And, and that's what Paul urges the elders of the church to do. And that that same that same call begins to go down the chain, right? Because caring for people isn't something that is just specific for a few elect in the church. It is something that is commanded of all of us to care for people. You might say, well, I'll care for God's people. Paul didn't just care for God's people. I'll I'll care for my people. Paul just didn't just care for his people. Scripturally and biblically, he showed more compassion and care to the Gentiles than he did the Jews. Throughout his history. Um care for for people. And it goes deeper than just caring for them in here. I say, well, you know, that's all I had the capacity of doing. That's different seasons, but but we understand Paul says here in just a minute. He says, you know what these hands have done. He's not talking about the miracles they have worked. He's talking about the tents he has made and sold to take care of the weak and the poor. That's what he is saying. He's saying, you know, you have seen what these hands have done to care for people. Not just laying on of hands to pray for them. Not just to wave them around while preaching. But to build these tents, the scars and the bruises that they themselves have taken up as he would tan the leather, as he would stitch them together. He says, I did that because I care for the people. For the people. But we must be, just to ties into that, right? We must be selfish. Selfless. Selfless. He tells us as he kind of wraps it up, right? And understand this, man. I've talked about the last things that Jesus said. 
Right, that we should understand. These are the certain last things that Jesus said to his apostles. He knowingly know that these were going to be the last things he would say. We should take great priority in understanding what those mean, what he was trying to tell them, because he's like, this is the last thing I wanted to say to you on this earth. Paul knew. Paul had a relationship with the Holy Spirit that I, I prayed to one day be able to have. Right, and I don't know if I, in my, in my flesh, could have that. Right, but I pray. That we understand what Paul knew. He knew that he was not going to see the Ephesians again. He knew that he was going to come back this way again. If He, he might not be able to write them letters and whatnot. But this is the last time he's personally going to be able to sit down and break bread and have supper. And eat, and eat with these people. To love on these people. To, to see their faces. And he says, So now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. This is Paul saying, this is the last thing I entrust and I give to you. Which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for me necessities. And for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. To be selfless in all manners and ways. I want to clarify very quickly. That to be selfless doesn't wholly and fully mean that you never care for yourself. Let's get that out of there real quick. Jesus himself many times said, I must, I, I need to go to a mountain, to some place, to be ministered to by angels. Right? Jesus recognized that he needed time to care for himself. Paul would go through different times. I think Paul a lot of times used the time in prison. For his time to get, you know, get get right. You know, he was by himself. He'd just be with him and God. He's like, when he got out, he would do what he needed to do. Because he's like, I want to go back there here soon. We don't go to prison. Hopefully. Maybe not. We'll see. Um, but Paul did. But we see in them, both in Christ and in Paul, an example of taking time to, to be rejuvenated and to be healthy. So this is not me saying, never take a moment for yourself. Or never take a time to be with Christ. Or that you always have to be pouring out. That is not healthy or well for the spiritual well-being for the individual, for the family, or for the church. But I am saying, we sometimes use that as a cop-out when we should be serving. And that's just reality. Paul could have said, well, I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. I, instead, I could just go straight to Jerusalem and, and that's what I need to do. But... But if you understand, reading the rest of this chapter, he, he goes, I can't even remember all the places. He starts in Troas, and he goes to um, Samos, I think is who it was, Trigolot. Um, he travels uh, to several different ones. So I was looking up this morning um, just, just to make see where they were at kind of thing. And, and he travels to all these places, and in one place he even says, I have to be quick because I still got to get to Jerusalem. He could have taken the easy path out and just went straight to Jerusalem. But he knew that he had a heart to serve. And he said, it's going to be difficult for me to do all this traveling, to get to all these places, see these people that I need to see, that I want to see. I could just go to Jerusalem. And I could sit down for a couple of days or a couple of weeks and just rest until my time comes. 
But I want to go and do this because he had a selfless heart for these people. <coughs> for those that he had loved on. For those that he had seen come into the fear and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I, I can be selfish and do what I want to. Or I can be selfless and do what I know somebody else needs. And it's a thin line to... To navigate of not burning yourself out by being so selfless. Um, it is. And, and any person in ministry and, and pulpit or even deacons or whatever it may be or somebody that really serves continuously will tell you that, that, that we don't always get it right. And we go too far on one side or the other sometimes. It's hard to navigate. But we are, as I've said many other times in many other situations, we, it's a road we have to navigate of knowing how to be selfless, how to show compassion for others, how to go the extra mile, how to be that which somebody else needs, even at sometimes the detriment of what we want and need. I love the illustration. I just love how Scripture so often Jesus and the, and the other ones, Old Testament, New Testament, oftentimes use nature as an example of the life of Christ. And, and I, love, I just love this image of a great shade tree. Maybe at the end of a field, maybe in just a great season of heat and trials, maybe in the, the midst of a of a terrible storm. But this great shade tree that people can run under to find a time of rest, to find the provision that they need at times. And that shade tree, in certain seasons, is taking on the weight of the storm, taking on the brunt of the heat to assure that others are cared for in that time. And we too must recognize that through different seasons of life we fill different roles. We talked about roles several weeks back. But there's going to be sometimes that your role in life, that my role in life, is that we're going to take some pain to help make sure that somebody else can grow and make sure somebody else is safe. That there's going to be seasons where, where we're going to take the brunt of something so we can say, I know you've been through this. Let me carry this for a season. Let me be the strength that you need in this time. I know that things have been hard right now, so let me take a little bit more on me than I, than I have to. Right? So that you can have a little bit of time to find strength and to find comfort. You might say, well, scripturally, that's, scripturally that is everything that we see in Christ. That is all that we see in Paul. That is all that we see in Peter and these apostles in the early church. This establishment of this idea that for this season, I will carry what you can't until you can. And then you carry what somebody else can't until they can. And then they can carry what somebody else can't until they can. Yet we have come to this place where we are more selfish and selfless and and we don't want to take anything more on ourselves than we absolutely have to. If Christ was only taking on what He had to, He would have never came 
from the throne of heaven. Because he didn't have to. If Paul only did what he had to in life, he, he very well may have just continued in the temple like he always did. Because he took my every sense, a pay cut, a title cut, a influence cut, a, a, and for more responsibilities, for more trials, for more pain, for more sorrow, for more issues. And that's what it means to be selfless. Selfless. And sometimes it, it, it's not going to look like what Paul did or what Jesus did in our life. But there are there is still a call within the church, within the body of believers, within the family of Christ, for selfless people. For selfless people that will do what they can to, to be the image and the likeness of Christ in that way, in that fashion, in that form. And we see in Paul this example of someone with a heart to serve. A heart to serve. One that lived out a personal example of what that looks like. One that cared for people. And not in just the trivial way of saying it. Saying it's wonderful. And sometimes saying it's exactly what people need, but... But he cared for them in an intimate, in a deep, in a very physical way. And he was selfless. Selfless beyond measure to, to go to the prison, to be scorned and stoned, cast out of city after city, run amok by by those that should have been more accepting of his gospel than any. Yet he was still selfless. All the way to Rome, where we have every understanding know that his life came to a quick end. And our life might never lead us to that point. Yet there's still a season and a way and a fashion and a form that we are to be selfless. In a world that cries out and says, do what you want. Do what feels good for you. Do what's right for you. Do what's best for you. Christ says, do what I would do. Do what helps the other." The one that's distant, the one that's hurting, the one that's grieving and have a heart to serve, to serve. You may come in today with this belief, this understanding, this hope that you 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 have a heart to serve. And maybe after all this is sermon, you're, you're like, yeah, I, I really do believe I can get some better, but I really do believe I'm on that path, right, that I have a heart to serve. Maybe you came in with the hope, the aspiration to have a heart to serve, and you you look at the Scripture, you look at the life and the example that Paul gave us, and and you look at the example that Christ gave us, you're like, man, I I just, I don't have a heart to serve in that capacity, in that way, in that form, to the extent that that they were. But I want to. Maybe you came today and you don't know Christ. 
as your Savior. But you can know Him. Whatever it is that's on your heart this morning, whatever you, you carried in, I pray that you, you know that you can come to the altar. You can talk with a God that knows, that hears, that, that when you came in this morning before you heard the sermon, already had you on His mind. But if you have a need to come, please do.